This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I'm joined by Mawera Karatai in Whakatani. Kia Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well. I am using the lockdown to get lots of work done, which had gotten away on me. It's amazing how productive you can be when you take out the commute, even though it's not a very long commute, and the inefficiency of being at work. Yeah, all the interruptions. Yeah, I mean, how are your windowsills? Oh, yeah, they're still. Well, I've, I used the varnish that we're going to be used on the windowsills for the shelves that aren't finished. <laughs> so I can't even finish the windowsills. Uh oh. But never mind, we'll get there. Who are we introducing today? Today it's my absolute pleasure to introduce Karen Summerhays. For as long as I've had any sort of political awareness, well, I've, all the years I've been living in the Bay of Plenty, Karen has been part of that picture. Um, I lived in Tauranga uh, before I moved here to Whakatane, and um, Karen was hugely involved in all things community, even back then. And now we're very fortunate to have her here in Whakatane as a senior community development advisor. Um, and I see her gentle hand everywhere, actually, uh, as our thriving community just get stronger and stronger in spite of all of the challenges it faces. Welcome, Karen, and thanks for joining us. Oh, kia ora. Um, tēnā koutou, everyone. Um, thank you for having me on this uh, lovely day. Kia ora, Karen. Where are you, Karen? I'm in Tipuki, So that's where I live. Um, so I do the lovely commute along the Pikawai Straits to uh, Whakatane every day for work and on the days that I'm not working from home, and of course I'm not in lockdown. Um, but yes, that's, you know, um, I'm lucky to be in the lovely world of Tipuki. No, and of course for kiwi fruit, but what else does Tipuki have in it? Hmm. Um, good question. <laughs> um, we have a beautiful um, walk called the Kahikatio Walkway, um, and one of the women. We used to have a lovely garden way up on the hills and she'd planted a whole mountain just about of daffodils, has transferred all these daffodils down into the valley and so they are just absolutely beautiful at the moment, uh, gorgeous. So I think that would most probably be the highlight of our um, little space at the moment. So how was your bubble life, the first one, bubble life version 1.0? Wow. wow. Um, I was doing a breast cancer battle through that. So I was on chemotherapy and radiotherapy and trying to get to um, medical appointments and not being able to go out because my immune system was totally compromised. Um, so 
uh, like to think about that not very often, really. So this one has been a much more pleasant experience. Well, yes, except that I have just had a knee replacement. <laughs> I know it's, it goes on. It's hilarious. Um, and so I'm still waiting for the clearance to drive. So I'm still dependent on people, but I've got a lovely friend who's in my bubble and um, we managed to get up to some hijinks. So it's all good. Did the going into this bubble, into this into this lockdown, seem easier for you than, than last time? Well, I'd sort of been at home anyway because of my knee recovery. So it was just a bit of an extension. I'm due to go back to work this week um, and I'm just still waiting for the clearance to drive, but it's all I'll be just working from home. So I'm very lucky to have very flexible employers. So you're able to do that work from home? Mostly I can do. I do do a lot of community meetings and things, but uh, um, they might just have to be done by Zoom. So what does the a senior community development advisor, did I get all those words right, at Whakatani do? Um, navigate carefully through <laughs> all the different <laughs> elements of um, council and local government. Um, predominantly, I guess I'm trying to bring an awareness of community development and especially community-led development um, as to how do we, how does a council and how does local government actually support that type of mahi? Um, it's quite a, you know, it is a challenge um, about doing things with communities um, and letting and taking a backward seat, and I think that's quite hard for some councils. Um, so, you know, it's a constant awareness of just making sure that um, the opportunities and the capabilities of the community. Um, are seen and um, resourced if possible. Is it difficult maintaining that balance of being seen to be doing something but also getting out of the way? Yes. Um, I sort of, I guess I see myself as much, uh, pretty much as an educator. I've recently just finished my master's in education for um, intercultural dialogue and uh, community education. So a lot of it is around any chance I get, I try and broaden the knowledge of the people around me around um, ways and of um, including communities and listening to them, um, you know, afeeing their beautiful, you know, their beautiful endeavours. Tell me again what that master's was on. Do you say intercultural dialogue? Yeah, intercultural dialogue and Education for sustainability and community and community education. Cool. What led oh, to that? Oh, is that all? <laughs> <laughs> I've always had tassel envy from my girls. I didn't go to uni when I was young. I was, you know, in that age when Dad went and got me a job in the bank, and so I um, missed out on the whole university thing. And then when um, I raised my girls and was so hot on them going to uni or getting some sort of qualification, tertiary qualification. I didn't care if it was uni or not really. Um, but they both went off and did beautiful things. And then I thought, damn it, I'm going to do it. So I think I, I started it at about 55. I started my um, master's. And they and luckily they sort of grandmothered me in on a, that because I didn't have an undergraduate degree. 
um, had a very understanding guy who decided that I was a I was a pretty good bet. I think he I think he regretted it on year seven when I was still trying to finish. <laughs> oh dear! I notice he hasn't offered to me to do a PhD. <laughs> so how do those? What's in the at the intersection of those those three things? Um. I think it was my experience. I was working for Auckland Council and I had an experience where um, there were a whole lot of um, people from the Chinese population who were struggling to, they were very isolated and they were struggling to get um, sort of any traction. There was one man, who, Mr. Dahl, who absolutely led this group out of the back room of the library. Um, and one day I got a call to say that they were picking up litter. They were seen to be picking up litter in New Lynn and could I go and intervene? <laughs> so I popped down there. Um, their English teacher had taken them out and I started talking to her and I said, what's going on? And she said, they're trying to show their appreciation to the New Zealand government as to uh, being allowed in the country and they don't have the language to write the letters. So they knew that New Zealanders loved the environment so they would sh could do this by picking up litter and showing this gratitude and um and you know then that sort of led on to a whole lot of things a little community garden um where that interface with council and just noticing how their democracy and decision making skills the democracy the understanding of democracy um decision making skills and civics um, was grown through the project um, and all of a sudden they became avid ringers of the council and totally involved and they had a little election, they created themselves a society and um, just brought them away from this world where they hadn't had much of that experience really in China. So when they came here, it was really an eye-opening experience for me and that's what I just when I decided I wanted to study this intercultural dialogue. And what are the lessons from that 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 we should be putting into practice? Um, I think that organisations need to be open and create space and place for these conversations to happen and it's not necessarily the conversation that happens or it's, an, it's not in a lecture, it's not a is actually doing the project alongside the people um, and providing them practical opportunities to practice democracy, to practice decision making, um, and to understand civics in, in New Zealand. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Tammy Nelson, Queenie Queenie. Why this one? Well, you know. Women in lockdown are juggling a whole lot of stuff, and I came from those those the year where the years when Queenie Queenie Who's Got the Ball was a game that we all played in the backyard, um, and we hid the ball behind our backs, and everyone had to guess who had the ball. Um, but this song really appeals to me because it really acknowledges of all the things that we're juggling, and and not just not, I guess it's not just women, but um. And I love Tammy. I think she's just cool. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. 
Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball down. Come, baby, cradling on. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball down. Come, baby, cradling on. Chickens need feeding, dog needs a bone. Bills need paying and the bank's on the phone. Dishes need washing, kids do too. Man come home and he wants to woo-hoo. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball down. Come, baby, cradling on. Screaming from the kettle, knocking at the door. Baby kick the bucket full of suds on the floor. Rain starts falling, clothes on the line. What's a stay-at-home mama do with all that time? Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball down. Come, baby, cradling on. Working through the day, working through the night. Planes and trains and another misflight. Mama gotta hustle, do another show, cause they won't play a lady on country radio. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball down. Come, baby, cradling on. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball down. Come, baby, cradling on. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. There's a lot going on in the community, in any community, but Fakatani in particular. How do you not drop the ball? Uh, or perhaps how do you know which which are the things that you need to be to be holding on to? Which are the projects that you really need to to get behind? Yeah, um, I guess I'll, I'll talk from my personal um, involvement rather than my work involvement, if that's all right. Um, there are some things that you start at being an activist on, and one of the ones that I'm, I've been held, holding on for, I don't know, 23 years, I think now, is um, supporting the GE free movement in New Zealand, the genetically GMOs. So that mahi just lives with you, and as you grow, as you go, you learn more about it, and you work, walk alongside people who are also doing that same journey. And, you know, you get tired. I, I'm tired of that. I'm tired of that mahi, to be honest. But I, I can't see anyone else picking it up, and that's that. That worries me. I and I, sometimes get really quite frustrated about the whole um, activism space, where there have been most probably about ten people who have held New Zealand GE free all these years. Um, there has been some recognition across the country, you know, Pure Hawks Bay, um, Northland has declared themselves GE-free, and they know that the economic benefit of New Zealand being GE-free. Um, it doesn't stop GMOs coming into the country. Um, there is a process that goes through. But if there was not this group of people who stood and challenged the applications coming through, we would have had GMOs in New Zealand many, many, many years ago. 
Um, so it's a bit of mahi that if anyone's listening that wants to pick it up, give me a call. <laughs> it's um, it's really worthwhile, and um, you know, and just big ups to all of those people who have been working solidly for all these years um, to keep to keep that status in New Zealand. So I think the question was about what do you, how do we, how do I choose my fights and how do I choose my battles? Some of them around, you know, really deep, passionate beliefs. Um, others are for fun. Uh, I, mean, I like to um, do a bit of activism. I was a McGillicuddy years ago. Um, so we've, I've done my street theatre and my activism and I've been the jester in the court. And the role of humour to get a point across is um, a very powerful tool. Um, and I've always, and I've, I try to use that quite a lot, um, especially it breaks down barriers. It usually can relieve some tense situations, as long as you're funny, of course. If you're not funny, you're in trouble. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so I think that, you know, I do what I can, and, and I feel like I'm going to leave one, when I do finally leave this mortal space. Um, I, will, I will hope that I've left some really good, Good things behind. I'm a big fan of the transition towns movement principle of you don't have to convince anybody, you just need to get on with living a better life. But you're describing things there where it is about convincing people. Because there's no point in me trying yeah. to be living to be G freak if if everything around me is. And I think knowledge is such a powerful thing. If you know, if you don't know what genetically engineered what engineered organisms are, and you don't know the difference between that and hybridism, then you can see why people turn off. And some of the stuff, and you're seeing it in with the vaccine conversation. Um, you know, knowledge is power, and not you don't not going to expect everyone to understand the very depths of the knowledge behind the decisions. Um, but it is around you know having enough knowledge to know that if we had genetically engineered organisms in our environment in New Zealand, then there would be an economic, cultural and social impact. Being able to recognise that is most probably important. In your, you've, one of the things you described there was education for sustainability it formed part of, your, part of your master's and one of the big debates in, in that is to how much you should front load with doom. Do you, do you need people to to get all sort of depressed about the, the state the world's in and then come up with solutions, or can you just get on with making um, making you know making that better life, getting on with the the solutions? Yeah, interestingly, I I wrote a program called Eco Virtues and the importance of being earnest and. Um, it basically identifies seven virtues that if everybody practiced in their lives, we wouldn't have to think in a second, another second around whether or not we're being sustainable. Um, and they are prudence, which is, you know, just because we can doesn't mean to say we should. Um, humility, you know, abandon our arrogance about being um, the one that, that humans rule the world. Um, and that's about changing our viewpoint. Um, gratitude, 
Um, my children went to a Rudolf Steiner school and one of the things that they taught them in the, or taught us as parents in the kindy was that everything started with thank you. So um, if you are thankful for something enough, you will love it. If you love it enough, you will be responsible for it. So in the morning, if we simply wake up in the morning and say thank you for the year that I breathe and that I've got a garden to plant some, some veggies in, you know, the rest will follow. And the other ones are wonder, you know, that aesthetic appreciation of nature. Of course, it's got to be expressed for the right reasons. You don't say, I wonder what the spider will look like if I squash it. You know, it's, um, you know, I wonder, wow, look at that spider's web, you know. Um, openness, that ability to open, um, accept change and welcome new information and ideas. Simplicity, which takes only only what you need, connect your, with your surroundings and appreciate those small things in life. Respect for nature is the last one. And that's about honouring every natural thing's place and accept that we're part of that unified web. So those seven eco-virtues is what I've called them, um, can be practised on a daily basis. Um, and once you start recognising them and being able to practice them, then you don't have to think about being sustainable because you will be. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi arahanui, kia koutou, koutou ahohou. I hope you all have a nice day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are around you, this journey that we're all on together very rewarding, very sustaining, and for you and who you are. The triumph of nature's art. Perfect, unique, makes better. Thank you. As we all know, we find ourselves again in lockdown level four here. Beautiful paradise Aotearoa New Zealand. We have been frolicking about in relative freedom for the last several months. So I know for all of us it's been quite abrupt, but around the rest of the world, this is an everyday experience for so many. And for me, of course, so much has shifted and changed in the last few days. But what I am really appreciative of, and what I am really enjoying, of course, are those essential innate qualities that we all possess coming to the fore and constant surprising, delighting me. One of the things, of course, that I love about us as a species is that we are able to envision that which does not exist yet. And, of course, that is how new things come into being. And um, when we bring these new things into being, the first step of that is to envision them in our consciousness. And this, of course, is the, the beautiful imagination which you speak about so much on this program, the Blown Bubbles team. And it's so important, so much of a huge asset that we have, a huge gift that we have. And so yesterday I was envisioning this beautiful secluded place I really wanted to go to so I could talk to my mum in the UK and wander about without lots of other people being there and without all the other people that were there walking around at a socially distanced space with masks on so they wouldn't, you know and be privy to my conversation or indeed think I was an unusual person wandering around in these conversations with myself which would be fine as well. So I put this out there to the universe and my wonderful mother and she cleverly found 
a reserve near to me, which I'm now completely in love with and completely obsessed with, but of course I hadn't even thought of before. But just by envisioning that secluded, beautiful wild space and asking the universe, putting it out to my genius mother, look what happened. And not only that, but I really wanted to be able to make these educational videos myself. So again, I put it out there a selfie stick and I was able to ask my networks at large and, and find a selfie stick so all of these wonderful things happened because I envisioned what I needed and I asked so I really hope for all of you you are able to do this at this time as well thinking about what will improve things for you what will make things easier what will make things more supportive what is going to help you in this time to make the space for those best aspects of you to come forward what's really going to help you in this time so that your creative energy can flow so that you can feel safe so feel at ease and <clears throat> i know for all of us when we are being asked to restrict our behavior and everything like that it's so important that we have the opportunity to get out into these wild spaces and these natural spaces so we can remember our innate freedom as a human animal and as part of this wild and free living world that we're co-evolving alongside so i really hope you're having the opportunity to do that too so please ask this is a big lesson that i've learned and see what comes from it it's very exciting <laughs> and i'll look forward to talking to you again soon thank you so much Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Karen Summerhays. Karen, you've been an amazing role model for so many of us in our wider Bay of Plenty community and even into Auckland as well because I know you spent some time um, up there um, working too in the same kind of space. So you've, your role modelling has led to so much social change over the years. Who were the people that you looked up to? Who were your role models? I think it was really just bred into me in a sense um we, we were i was raised in a very rural on a sheep farm out coffee away um, we were often down at the local hall doing working bees creating tennis courts and my dad was into lions club mum was always cooking for other people so i think there was a sort of a general understanding that that the world was bigger than just us and that we had a responsibility to more people than just ourselves so i think that's sort of where it came from i think also my father most probably was responsible for the fact that i was have always been trying to um, to prove myself i was never quite good enough you know those one of those farm fathers rest in peace dad but um so I guess I've always been driven by this idea that I've got to prove myself and I've got to seek that acknowledgement. And it's sort of a hard thing to acknowledge that you actually need acknowledgement for your own well-being. So I find that quite an interesting sort of um, dilemma that I that I get myself into a little bit around: um, Am I doing this for the good, or am I doing it for acknowledgement for me? So I do get stuck there sometimes um i think about yeah. that a lot because i think that humans for the most part have an aspiration whether conscious or unconscious to be useful and 
and how do you measure that usefulness? Nobody wants to think that their life has no meaning and has no point and has no value. We, there is something really powerful in being useful. And I think that we need, sometimes we need to check that we are actually being useful, that there is a point to our existence and there are, we are contributing something. And I think also as a community, sometimes we stop valuing and appreciating people. And as soon as we do that, we run the risk of losing our useful people, which is kind of scary, eh? So, yeah, I think so. And you see it a lot in that community-led space where some a project starts, it grows, and then the key person tires or dies or gets sick. Um, and how that that succession planning for communities is is really important. How do you hand the mantle over? And mm. you know, just with the passing of um, Michael Cullen, you know how he handled he could hand the um, mantle to Helen. You know he he knew when it was time, to, and you know and Andrew Little is the same. You know he he knew that he could be just as effective not being the leader. And so there was a you know a lot of those sort of signals in the world help people. To trans, you know, to transform projects, mm. um, I think. Yep, I agree with that, and um, and I think also one of the things that we need to do also to care for people and to keep them wanting to carry that mantle is um, protect them from just having mud flung at them all the time. And it's really easy, and I've just noticed that on social media recently because we've got all of this um, this weird fund that was set up to beautify the streets and create safer streets. And some of the decisions I've struggled with, and so I have been very, I've become very adept at mud slinging. And then I suddenly realised that's an actual person that I'm criticising for their for their creativity and and for their vision, um, and that's not actually okay. And yeah, so I, I worry about that a lot. And I think that for you guys in that um, local government space, you you really are a lot of times a moving target for people who are unhappy with any decisions that you make. And it's not actually fair. Yeah, I think you know you can hide behind the organize the organisation, not hide behind it, but um, be protected by it, I guess, in some ways. But also be subject to abuse as a person yeah. for simply doing your mahi um, and there are some you know really good people and doing really good things in this world um, that sometimes get mud slung at them um, and sometimes it's around not understanding the full basis of that project or or where it came from or the money and you know I think that a lot of communities um, fall into the trap of following the money rather than creating the project or the plan that's best for the community and then going and getting the money. So, and especially with this COVID uh, funds that are available, a lot of a lot of people make decisions on projects because all of a sudden the government puts up some money for some particular thing, and everybody runs over to that pot of money, and they all have a little go at it, and then. 
you know, two years later they go, well, that, that pot of money is finished now, so what do we do? Meanwhile, the community has just been trying to to get on with what they really want to do, um, but everyone's been diverted over to this pot of money. It's like, and it's the it's the wrong way round. You know, localism has got to be local, and mm. I'm really interested in this local government reform as to the role that um, community development is going to play. How are they going to get that localism right down on the ground? How are they going to make sure that funds are gathered from central government, local government, philanthropics, and channeled into the community-led community development and not be racing off after these pots of gold that somebody mm. throws out? Yes, that is the, that's the very problem with pots of gold is that they just, uh, the focus is on spending rather than on the future and that's not great. True, mm. true. I'm a great advocate of community planning and um, how, how communities holding their plan. Um, and I think it's a very success, a successful mechanism to start that process of focusing resources into smaller communities. One of the things I've um, noticed over the last while while I've been working on my doctorate thesis has been um, an observation, it's kind of sad really, that we are lacking in our education system critical thinking and future planning as, as skills that we are purposely developing in our kids. And I, my, my feeling is that this is leading us to a space where kids are unable to imagine as themselves beyond this moment, beyond the chaos of the moment with COVID and the future of work and homelessness and, and uh, methamphetamine use and, and all of those things that are just creating these huge big walls to the future. And what my worry is that it'll it will make that pot of gold mentality worse because there isn't that ability to actually think into the future and 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 make some plans yeah how do we fix that karen <laughs> well, i'd like to be able to answer that <laughs> um uh, I, it's interesting because my sister um at francis douglas in new plymouth is a future thinking teacher and and her her kids um, win time after time after time, the they've, and they've won world champs. Her teams, her kids. So, um, yeah. So the future thinking is there. It's about whether or not skill, schools will embrace that um, as a subject. Um, education for sustainability is in the curriculum. It's a matter of having the people being able to teach that to the kids and. To do those again, it's a it's about the practical um, application of that thinking in a project. So it's not just in the head; it's in the heart, it's in the hands and the head. And um, that that's where the value comes. I mean, I think about all the things that I learned at school, and I think, um, funnily enough, I'm just about to sew an apron for my friend who's turning seventy tomorrow. And I, I learned sewing at school, and that was really practical. And you know, and I and I've always loved it. Um, can I remember any of the maths? Yeah, nah. Sew an apron or use Pythagoras's theorem. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I can sew an apron. 
There's probably a bit of trigonometry in cutting that pattern out. True, true. I've just done a little sketch, actually, working out how many pieces I need and have I got enough fabric and all that sort of stuff. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have Marlon Williams' Arahura. Why this one? Yeah, I think it's interesting that, that Maui was just talking about that. It's, it's the constant. You know, geology is constant. Um, and he talks about the river and he talks about stones and those things that are solid. Um, I've always been a great stone collector. You can ask my girls. I've made them carry rocks from down in the gully back to the car and stuff. <laughs> so I've got, ro <laughs> I've got rocks everywhere. There's something deep and constant about geology and about things that don't change. And he, he sings about the river and the stones and the mountain and the sea. And when everything else is chaos, that constant can really be an anchor.
Karen, we've seen lots of changes in society over the the last year and a half or so. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? Mm. Uh, I think um, from a work perspective, that flexibility to work from home, um, that type of where people are not just on the treadmill all the time, um, the understanding that productivity doesn't happen eight hours a day. Um, that type of thinking, I think, is a really beneficial thing for everybody. Um, I feel, I do feel for the people who actually have to be somewhere physically in their physical space. Um, I hope that the respect for science sticks. You know, I mean, I have a, I think I've been seeing this badge on people's Facebook pages around having a healthy distrust of government or something along like that. And I've definitely got that as well. Um, and I do, I'm a great believer of the threefold social structure from Rudolf Steiner. And he talks about keeping the three realms um, separate, you know, the social realm, the law and order realm, and the economic realm separate. And as soon as you start messing around with that, and within that social realm is the is science and education, and as soon as you put um, economics influence into that realm, then you start getting, you know, the the mess. So, uh, you know, if we can, I'd love to bring back um, public good science, bring back the DSIR. Um, because there is something about altruism, and I think New Zealand is a really great at altruism, um, and we we can smell a rat a mile away. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, I think I would like to see that healthy, a healthy separation of law and order, economics, and um, that social, the social realm. That would be my big dream. It was a big call, and it seems that it was the right one that the New Zealand government made, unlike pretty much everywhere else, to focus primarily on health. Yeah. And, and knowing that those other other things, those realms, will follow along. I guess so. I guess so. I, I, I think they've got to go in tandem, though, don't they? You know, if you don't invest in the social realm um, in the right way, and I think the classic is, look at the jobs I've created in forestry, in construction. They're very male-orientated jobs. I'm not saying that women can't do them. I'm just saying that they are 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. in the bush. You know, where's the creation of the roles for uh, the social and community sectors. So just as they're building carbon credits, why aren't we building social credits? Aren't, why aren't we increasing the capacity of our social services to cope with the huge rising uh, numbers of homelessness, of, of not even homelessness, but there's just the home challenge to the renters. I've been on a um, national reference group for renting when elderly. And I tell you, there is a train coming down this track, and um, there are not there are not the things in place. So that investment has got to be 
hand in hand. We can't have healthy people living on the street because they're not going to be healthy. Yeah, I think one of the, the the only bad things from my perspective is the term shovel ready. I haven't got an alternative, but it's it's got so many negative connotations to it that, that I I wish I could come up with something that, that was, was better, that was wider. I can't get like there's apron ready because you're making an apron but but you, you've got to get past the sort of the, the gender associations with that but the the shovel ready projects it's it's a sort of a 1950s mentality of of this is where the this is where the labor is it doesn't in, incorporate the you know the the people with disabilities either and how how do they get seen in this picture it's problematic that we continue to use that kind of language uh, and we carry forward uh, these funny stereotypes. And a, a young lady yesterday asked me to read her assignment that she was handing in. She's first year of university and she'd written, it was a health assignment and she'd written about homelessness Ooh. and she wrote about how all homeless people have got mental health issues and um, and alcohol and drug issues. <laughs> and I said, Okay, let's have a talk about that. But it was really interesting based on her observation of one homeless man that she had walked past who had some beer bottles next to him. She had come to all of these very odd conclusions, odd to me, but to her that was it was logical. Um, but it, but it's the it's the perpetuation of the stereotype that doesn't belong in our communities anymore. And we just we need to stop. Absolutely. I was talking to a friend the other day about the struggle I'm having of the, oh, my gosh, the neighbours just decided to mow the lawn, my lawn. Hang on, I'll try and get away from them. Can you hear that noise? It's okay. Oh, is it all right? Yeah, I can't okay, hear it. Sorry. I can't remember what I was saying now. What did I say? Um, I was saying, oh, yes, uh, I was having a struggle the other day with the they and them, and I said to my friend who's a English, um, you know, boff, boff, I said, I, could, I, I can't seem to get it in the right context. I'm trying. And she said, because it's plural to us. And she said, it, it's the, that plural um, concept that you can't get out of your head. And I, so I've been really practising and trying to make sure that I can include the they and them in my conversation and not feel weird. Talking about stopping, I have we have to stop real soon. So I have some quick questions to ask. We shall have to rattle through these. What okay. is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Beating cancer. That's a good one. We are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So what's your superpower? My humour? Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Hell yes. <laughs> what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, gosh, I, was, I, I mean, easy, you could easily say coffee, but um, it's not that. It's um, what gets me up in the morning. I think it's that that every day is a new day that I can make something better today, that, that, that I'm going onward, you know, onward. 
What's the biggest challenge or opportunity you're looking forward to in the next year or so? I think completing some really good pieces of work that um, will make a difference and making sure that the people who can enact those people that, that pe those pieces of work are on board with it and actually will do it. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Go easy on yourselves. It's okay, you know. Um, try and do something, do something for yourself, and learn something every day. Be open. Follow those seven eco virtues. Shall indeed. Amawera. Karen, it is, um, it's really amazing to have you here in our community, um, part of this. Actually, if you think about it, we have got some incredibly powerful, dynamic, inspiring women in this community who lead, who make change happen, and it's so awesome to have you as one of those women. So I just wanted to say thank you, and I know that it would be really easy for so much of the work that you do to go unnoticed just because you don't seem to need a lot of fanfare um, and community development isn't one of the sexy kind of things. <laughs> so, oh, it is but, to me, Maui, it is to and, me. <laughs> and it is to me too, as you know. But, um, but you know, the, the, there's not your name in the newspaper every other day um, like, you know, some of the other um, things that happen in the town. You are so appreciated and so valued for everything that you do. Thank you. Oh, Nami Nui. That was lovely. Oh, thank you. Um, you're not so bad yourself, girl. <laughs> Pretty daffodil girl. You're warm and you're sweet like the mid-July sun. But you don't like the attention. I guess those tall puppy fields made you Doubt your perfection, but this is your season. You just gotta believe in yourself. Stop wasting your time. The world's a better place when you don't hide. Everybody knows that a flower never goes down in the shadows where the sun doesn't reach. And everybody knows that the spring's more beautiful with flowers and bloom for all the world to see. Spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. 
The broadcast of Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. And this is Philippa Hanna, Daffodil Song. I'm Sammy, my name is Bay Dunedin with Maui Makaratai in Fakatani and in Tipuki. We've been joined by Karen Summerhays. Uh, that was blowing bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.